the prime obligation of every human being is to speak out against injustice. We are our brother's keeper. You're listening to The Keeper, brought to you by the Lantos Foundation for Human Rights and Justice. I'm Katrina Lantos-Sweat. This episode of The Keeper is supported by John and Judith Ransmeyer and by Sheehan Finney Law Firm, the business law firm, with offices in New Hampshire, Massachusetts, and Vermont, serving clients throughout the United States. Welcome to the third episode of our Rule of Law podcast season. On this episode, we're going to focus in on a part of the world that has become one of the front lines of the fight to uphold the rule of law. I'm talking, of course, about Hong Kong. The struggle for human rights, the rule of law, and democracy in Hong Kong has been building steadily since 2014. That's when the Chinese Communist Party began implementing a series of measures designed to erode the autonomy that China had once promised Hong Kong under the One China, Two Systems policy agreed to by the Chinese when the British relinquished control of Hong Kong in 1997. This policy, which was outlined in the Hong Kong Basic Law, was meant to stay in place for at least 50 years. But it took less than 20 years for mainland China to start asserting its authoritarianism. When this happened, the response did not come from the powerful or well-connected members of Hong Kong society. It came instead from the vibrant, beating heart of Hong Kong, its youth. So we're here at the Chinese University of Hong Kong, where a whole bunch of Hong Kong students from 24 different universities have gathered here today to fight for what they call true democracy. A generation of bright, determined, committed and idealistic Hong Kongers spearheaded what came to be known as the Umbrella Movement, so-called because the tens of thousands of protesters often used umbrellas as a form of passive resistance against the Hong Kong police. From the Umbrella Revolution, a new pro-democracy political party was born, Democisto. Its founders were a trio of compelling young Hong Kongers who had cut their teeth during the 2014 protests. Joshua Wong, Agnes Chow, and Nathan Law. When they founded Democisto in 2016, Joshua and Agnes were not yet 20. Nathan was the elder statesman of the group at the ripe old age of 22. When I had the chance to speak with Nathan, he told me that he had never grown up with the grand design of entering the political arena. Yeah, I actually had never thought of becoming a politician or an activist when I was young. I grew up in a blue-collar family. My, my father was a construction worker. My mother was a street cleaner. The pursuit that I had in my childhood was to help advance my, the economic situation of my families and helping them to overcome a lot of uh, struggles that we had financially when I was young. So I didn't really think of um, participating in politics. But eventually, when I was in high school, I witnessed an event that really triggered my interest. I remember that was in 2010, when Liu got the Nobel Peace Prize. The head of our school, which was a very poor Beijing lady, she publicly denounced uh, Liu Xiaobo, saying that he was betraying the country and attacking the country and so on and so forth. 
And back then, I was very curious because um, I, I learned that Nobel Prize is an award for people who are excellent in their field. So how come someone like that being criticized with such a strong tone? It really prompted me to look into what he actually advocates and to understand what is happening in mainland China and in Hong Kong. So I guess it was kind of like an enlightening moment for me. And I decided that being involved in the process of changing the society is a little bit more important than my personal desire for helping my family. So eventually when I entered university, I ran for the head of our student union and I became the student leader in the 2014 movement. So that was the part of the student movement. And afterwards, uh, we found that we need to inject the power of youth into the ordinary politics in Hong Kong because back then there were so many like uh, older generations. We were representing different perspective and different voice. And I believe that we need to have a balance. We need to have experienced people, but we also need fresh voices. So I founded a youth-led party, Demosisto, which is now disbanded due to the national security law and ran for the election. I was elected in 2016 at the age of 23. Not only did Nathan get elected, he became the youngest lawmaker ever elected to the Hong Kong Legislative Council. But his tenure was short-lived. The Hong Kong government, doing Beijing's bidding, disqualified Nathan from serving on the council less than a year after he was elected. And the government, backed by the Chinese Communist Party, was only getting started with its crackdown on the pro-democracy movement. Nathan, Joshua, and Agnes continued to lead protests and sometimes paid a heavy price for their unwillingness to fall in line. Both Joshua and Nathan were arrested and imprisoned in 2017. Joshua was imprisoned again in 2018. That same year, a bipartisan group of U.S. lawmakers nominated Joshua Nathan and the entire Umbrella Movement for the Nobel Peace Prize, and the Lantos Foundation honored Joshua with our Lantos Human Rights Prize. While the Chinese government prohibited Joshua from traveling to accept the prize, Nathan and Agnes Chow were able to attend and accept on his behalf sharing a stage with then-former Vice President Joe Biden. They both delivered stirring remarks on that occasion. I'm Agnes. I'm a member of a political organization in Hong Kong called Demo Sister. And I'm also the friend and colleague of Joshua since 2012, when we were the age of 15. Hong Kong is still fighting very hard for democracy, for human rights, for political rights, which is very, very basic. The Chinese Communist Party is a giant monster. They are always trying to encroach the basic human rights of not only Hong Kong people, but people living in China. For all of you who are living in the United States of America, and for all of the people who are enjoying human rights and democracy around the world. Please, treasure your democracy, treasure the human rights that you are enjoying, because it's not easy to fight for such a basic right in the case of Hong Kong. Fighting for democracy in Hong Kong is not only the interest of Hong Kong. It is crucial for us to fight against it 
in terms of protecting our democratic values and in terms of also fighting for the rule of law and democracy for China. Sadly, that fight has grown ever harder in the years since Nathan accepted the Lantos Prize on behalf of Joshua. In the summer of 2020, the fight for Hong Kong's autonomy came to a head with the introduction of a new national security law in Hong Kong. The law was billed as a means to quell violence and unrest, but it was really just a way to silence any form of legitimate dissent. More than a thousand police officers moved to arrest scores of pro-democracy activists. This was the biggest operation to date under the national security law, imposed by Beijing on Hong Kong last year. The national security law was the most dramatic assault on the rule of law in Hong Kong to date. And on a personal level, it was a turning point for Nathan, who made the heartbreakingly difficult choice to flee Hong Kong. He is now living in exile in the United Kingdom. It was definitely a tough decision for me to make when I decided I had to leave Hong Kong. It's always my vocation to fight for democracy and to be able to speak on behalf of Hong Kong people. And it's impossible for me to really continue my international advocacy work if I were to stay in Hong Kong. So I had to leave. But of course, leaving behind your families, the cats that you rescue on the streets, and all your friends and the culture in Hong Kong is devastating. But I see this decision more than myself. I have to contribute back to the movement. I have to be my best position to help Hong Kong people advance their courses. When I left the city, I published a statement saying that I severed my ties with them because taking reference from the implementation of the national security law in mainland China, they're not only going after the people who are persecuted, but they will go after their families. They intimidate them, they survey them, they've threatened them. Some of the children of the human rights lawyer, they cannot leave the country, they cannot go to school. Their whole families are being locked down in certain places that are 24-7 surveyed. These are the things that I hope I can avoid happening in my family. So I had to make a decision to stay very clear that I'm no longer in touch with them. I'm no longer having a relationship with them. I'm doing everything in my own capacity. Sometimes it comes with cost and sacrifice. So it was a difficult decision to make, but I eventually made it. I think that I will be able to come back to Hong Kong when it's democratic and free. But I think it could possibly take decades. But I have faith. I have hope in my heart. So I will return to Hong Kong. It just takes a little bit more time. The cost is high indeed for these brave Hong Kong activists, whether they leave Hong Kong or whether they stay. In late 2020, Joshua Wong and Agnes Chow were once again arrested, and they now sit in maximum security prisons alongside hardened criminals. Their only crime, however, is their unwillingness to give up the fight for freedom, human rights, and the rule of law in Hong Kong. The Lantos Foundation is actively involved in advocating for the White House and Congress to do more to press for the release of these human rights heroes. For now, the Chinese government has silenced their eloquent voices, which makes it more important than ever for Nathan's voice to be heard. The fight will go on and it will transform into a more subtle 
and creative ways of doing so. We've got a stronger economic circle that could reciprocate to the movement, and there are more and more people willing to be involved in the struggle in the professional sectors, even though they will face larger suppression. And it's unlikely that we will have street protest in near future because the government is banning all the application for rallies and arbitrarily arresting people on the street once there are public gatherings. So the case looks grim, and I don't think the heavy-handed approach from Beijing would change in the next few years. But I do have hope in long-term struggle. And for me, I'll continue to speak up for Hong Kong people on the international stage, making sure that the world, they understand how autocratic Chinese Communist Party is and implementing suitable policies to curb its international authoritarian influence. To be honest, I'm actually quite encouraged by the progress. The first time I went to DC was in 2015, when the Hong Kong Human Rights and Democracy Act was freshly introduced. It's a fundamental act that could really place Hong Kong as the center of discussion. Back then, there were only less than 10 congressmen signing on the bill. Not much attention was paid to the Hong Kong umbrella movement in 2014. But if you look at the passage of the Human Rights and Democracy Act at the end of last year, it was basically an all-party consensus and it attracted a drastically different degree of support. That kind of progress was significant. Of course, the Hong Kong protest movement played a part of it. It garnered support and it attracted attention. On the other hand, the US-China policy also played a part that its trend is getting more assertive and tough, and it really reshaped the dynamics and make Hong Kong issue to be able to rise and to become a bipartisan consensus. I think the similar process is actually ongoing in Europe. For example, in UK, at the beginning of this year, the government was still saying that they are going to include Huawei into its 5G structure. But after half a year, it actually U-turned its decision. And the government is saying that they are going to exclude Huawei from the infrastructure of 5G network. It really shows that there is a drastic change in the UK politics in how to position themselves with mainland China. And the change is definitely moving towards a more assertive and tough position, implementing more policies to combat its authoritarianism. The Biden administration has promised to be strong on human rights issues, and many are waiting eagerly to see how this impacts the United States' approach to Hong Kong. I asked Nathan what he would say if he had a chance to speak directly to President Biden and his team. Well, first of all, I would be very honored if I had the opportunity to sit down and to talk with the administration about my thoughts towards the U.S.-China relationship. I think it's very important. It's the most prioritized agenda, I think, for the administration. And if I can suggest one thing, it's very important for the U.S. to take the leadership again. There has been a void of the leadership in terms of protecting universal values, protecting democratic values and making sure that democracy is the answer of a political system. The government has to be responsible for its people and should be democratically elected. The way to defend this notion has been lacking for the past years. So I think that leadership for a gigantic, wonderful country like US has to take that responsibility to lead again. 
So I guess it will transform into a policy suggestion that we need an alliance in terms of combating China's influence. No one could deny that it's the most sophisticated authoritarian regime that we have ever seen. So it takes much more effort to be united and to make sure that democracies are standing together and we are fighting for our democratic values with the policies that we have on our hands. It's incredible in a way to think that Nathan Law, who has become perhaps the most respected and recognizable voice speaking out for the Hong Kong democracy movement, is all of 27 years old. In 2020, he was honored with a prestigious Magnitsky Human Rights Award as an outstanding opposition figure. But Nathan feels that it is no accident that the younger generation is leading the way. I guess for every society, the younger generation is the spearhead of change. Of course, there are so many factors affecting whether a change is achieved or not. We need much more than a youth crowd to accomplish social changes or even revolutionary change in the system. But indeed, these young voices, fresh voices, are the spearhead of that change. First of all, they're the people who have less burden. For adults who have families, when they have children, they are bounded by a lot of needs and a lot of responsibility more than the younger people. For the younger generation, we're living in an era that we constantly receive information. We shape our mindset by these explosive amounts of information, and we witness how society changes. For, for the case of Hong Kong, we, we kind of enjoyed the freedom that we had while we were growing up. For our previous generation, like my father, he swam from mainland China to, uh, to Hong Kong in the 70s when China was extremely impoverished. He was barely making a living, barely eating anything. It was the economic extremely frugality make him take that risk. If you're wondering whether you heard that correctly, yes, Nathan's father swam to Hong Kong from mainland China. There were a lot of people swam across the Shenzhen and uh, Hong Kong Strait to avoid the border patrol. So my father took a boat trip and he swam a distance in order to avoid the border patrol to arrive to the land of gold back then <laughs> for a lot of Chinese to seek for a better living. During the process, a lot of people died. It took huge courage and a determination to achieve that trip. And my father made it. I guess that kind of experience really made them to see stability a bit more important. They don't take a lot of freedom for granted. They just feel like if they lost them, then it may not be as impactful as for the generation who lived through the era that it's already existed. So I guess there is certain way of understanding the society. There are differences making the younger generation of Hong Kong are really trying to protect what they have, what freedom they have now. For Hong Kong people, we realize we're in the forefront of the clash of authoritarianism and democratic communities. And we can see that Hong Kong has been a city that's been through a lot of erosion in its freedom. It was once praised as the beacon of freedom in Asia, but for now, it's just another authoritarian Chinese police state. So I guess a lot of people really feel that kind of pain of seeing the city faded. It's definitely a very symbolic place. And the ways that Chinese Communist Party deal with China infiltrate in Hong Kong's civic society would definitely be replicated in other places. So it's a very important forefront for us to protect our democracy. 
Protecting democracy in Hong Kong won't be easy. The Chinese Communist Party is tightening its grip on the city all the time, and it's growing ever more sophisticated in the way it prevents outside information, influence, and even expressions of solidarity from getting in, particularly in mainland China. It's difficult for these messages to penetrate through the gigantic wall on the internet because I still think that China has the most sophisticated censoring and monitoring surveillance technology and system. And for now, it is still well functioning. I guess it's quite difficult to think that these messages abroad could get into the Chinese people and to make it into a potential for change. But I guess there will be a lot of problems in mainland China because of these internal affairs, like the failure of industrial transformation, debt crisis, aging population, and so on and so forth, that the Chinese government would lose its legitimacy in the long run because they are unable to provide enough economic incentive for the people to align with the party. And by then they will face crisis. Change will start from there. And I believe that for the Western countries, we will have to pay attention to the signals uh, of that legitimacy crisis. And we will have to continue to implement policies that could hold China accountable. Anyone who has paid attention to the decline of autonomy and democracy in Hong Kong knows that holding China accountable is no easy task. The Chinese Communist Party seems to grow bolder in its authoritarianism with each passing day. And only time will tell whether the new Biden administration can pressure China to end its human rights abuses in Hong Kong, Xinjiang, and elsewhere. But one thing is certain. Nathan Law will continue to courageously stand up against the Chinese juggernaut, a true David versus Goliath. He may be young, but he is stronger and wiser than most. And as he has made clear to me, he will not give up. I'm an activist, and I think as an activist, I, I'm not entitled to lose hope. Most of the time, we are in the dark tunnels, and it seems impossible to see the end of it. What really keeps us moving is how Hong Kong people still resist under this difficult situation, and you recognize that you're not alone. There are more and more people who are even more courageous than you, devoting themselves into the same cause sometimes sacrificing themselves more than you do just for the basic right of Hong Kong people and the rule of law. By recognizing that point, I'm not really having the opportunity to give up. So I guess every Hong Kong people is actually a light of star. They will shine even in the darkest time. Nathan Law's light and his example of bravery and determination shines brightly for us all. Thank you for joining us for this episode of The Keeper. Next time, we'll be shifting our focus to another area of the world where the rule of law is under constant attack, Russia. We'll speak with Vladimir Karamursa, a democracy activist and opposition politician who continues to speak out for freedom and democracy in Russia, even after barely surviving two poison attacks. It's not okay to have in a European country, in a 21st century, a regime that kills its opponents, that muzzles the media, that falsifies elections, that does all these things that Putin's regime does. Subscribe to The Keeper now on Apple or Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts to make sure you don't miss our conversation with Vladimir Karamursa. 
If you like what you hear, please leave us a review and let us know. We have a lot more coming up on this Rule of Law season, so stay tuned. I'm Katrina Lanto-Sweat, and thank you for listening to The Keeper.